Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome, everybody, to Center Court with Hall of Famer Ralph Sampson. I'm Jason Zone Fisher, and I don't know if you can tell, Ralph, but I'm excited because the NBA is back. Basketball is back on television. Fans aren't there, but it's been great to watch, and we have a great guest in store for you here today, someone that you don't normally hear the perspective of an NBA referee. And we don't just have an NBA referee. We have the longest tenured ref in the NBA, Kenny Maurer. And he uh, refs some of my games, so how crazy is that? I mean, I've been out of the league for a long time. So he's a great friend, a great, great, great guest, I should say, for our show. But his history, his stories, his ability to, you know, just ref for that many – how many times – how many games and, you know, that's a lot of running up down the court. I mean, I ran for 82 games, but he refs probably more games than I played in. So yeah. I can't wait to get him – uh, up here and hear what he has to say. It's pretty unbelievable. He's been doing it for 33 years, uh, nearly 2,000 NBA regular season games, not to mention all the playoff games and finals games. He's seen the evolution of the game of basketball up front, and he is still doing it. Like you said, he's got to be in great shape. He's 65 years old, sprinting up and down that court with you know 20-year-olds. So we're going to find out from him how he does that. Well, refs don't have to sprint fast. They just got to sprint from, like, top of the key to top of the key. They don't get beat on. They just got to blow a freaking whistle. So, oh, I don't okay. know. It just kind of hit him in the head a little bit. But it's, all, it's oh, okay. Oh, yeah. It's okay. You're taking shots at the ref still. Man, yeah, okay. <laughs> nice. Well, I can't wait to hear from Kenny because uh, we don't often get to hear from an NBA ref uh, some of the inside scoop behind-the-scenes stories. So, that's going to be a lot of fun. But first – I want to know what's new, what's good. Lots of fun topics to talk about in the world, in sports. Ralph, you got one for me? Yeah, I got one. This report just come out, and people always say, who's a, like the wealthiest, especially NBA athlete? Who made the most money and, and how? So I'm sure everybody would know the number one. Uh, you number one's got to be LeBron, two. the king, no, right? No, no, Michael. Oh, well, Michael, of all time, of all time. All of right. all time, yeah, of all time. I mean, LeBron's in there, but Michael is uh, number one because of Nike. and the Well, brand the Jordan Nike brand. Jordan brand. But other than that, who do you think number two is, is the question. Well, LeBron just signed that billion-dollar deal with Nike. I don't know how they, they formulate this. Well, I don't had, know if he's he there yet. He hadn't made that money yet. That's over, over time. That's over a lifetime. Okay, all right. Well, I forgot LeBron is still years. struggling. Yeah, uh, I mean, could it – could it be Magic? Uh, he's got a lot of business endeavors. Magic number three. Number three. Number, number three. two. Number two would be someone played with the Milwaukee Bucks with Bob Lanier and that crew there that didn't really play with the University of Louisville. Uh, come up with a name named Junior Bridgman. What? So, you know, he had you know, Wendy's franchise and yeah. all these things. About $700, 800000000 worth. So he's second on the list 
other than Michael Jordan. Junior Bridgman. Junior Bridgman. Great guy, great player. Wouldn't expect, you know, those type of things. Like off the court, amazing businessman, friend of mine. We'll get him on one of these days, talk to him how, how he did that. But a, a wonderful person, but also hardworking. But he did it through the Wendy's franchises and all the other stuff he does as well. So he's a great guy. Great wow. Guy. Well, that's a lot of number six spicy chicken sandwiches right there. Uh, I've, I've eaten a lot of them. I've donated to that cause uh, myself. That's an impressive trivia fact right there. You think Magic, Michael, LeBron. Didn't think Junior Bridgman. So uh, thanks for pulling that one out, Ralph. That's fantastic. Junior, Junior Bridgman. You know, another guy who's had an even more successful career post-basketball than his NBA days is Jamal Mashburn. Jamal yeah. Mashburn, uh, former uh, University of Kentucky and then Dallas Mavericks star. He's not, he's uh, not quite on that 30, top 30 list. but he's, No, he's, not, but he, he's on his way. He also, in the same business, a lot of franchises he owns, uh, in very diff various uh, fast food restaurants, uh -huh. um, and has become incredibly successful post-basketball. Well, that's interesting. Speaking of people who could afford this, I got something interesting for you. LeBron James, his rookie card just sold for $1.8 million at an auction. It had a little piece of the jersey and it's autographed. There's only 22 of the cards in existence and someone paid $1.8 million for that card. What do you think about that, Ralph? Is that, is that crazy? I mean, it is just a piece of cardboard. Well, it is that the uh, the card business is um, baffled me most of the time. I mean, how can you have a card that's worth that much money? It's one of a kind. Okay, I get that. This memorabilia. I was reading uh, the when we had one before the guy that had all this memorabilia in his attic. His son found it. They they auctioned off, got millions of dollars for it. So if somebody's willing to pay that, God bless them. You know, that's, we should get more cards out there, or at least more limited editions, and maybe we can make some money off of it. Well, Ralph, I, I'm curious. You had any guess how much you think your rookie card is going for? Because if you look on eBay, there's a lot of them out there. People are selling them. They're buying them. How much would you guess? Well, I mean, you know, it should have been like Bill Russell. Bill Russell never signed anything, and mm -hmm. so his autograph is worth more. But when you sign them rookie card, I don't know how many rookie cards I've ever signed. Back then, we didn't worry about that. I mean, they probably, it's probably more LeBron James rookie cards out there than we know, mm -hmm. but they probably made these one of a kind with the jersey in it. And I guarantee that's not the original jersey, that's just a piece of a jersey. So, is it real or not? I would probably say not, but I don't know how much mine is worth. And, you know, it's probably on eBay and Amazon and all the other places. And it might be a real signature, it might be a fake signature. I don't know, but. Yeah. <laughs> We'll All right. Well, I'm not even signed, just your original rookie card, just out of the pack. That's selling for around $300 on eBay. So uh, long, I do wish you had a stack of those. It's a long way from a million. That's a long way from a million, but that, that's crazy. Not Most cards are not going for millions of dollars. That's a one of a kind. I did find some other fun Ralph Sampson uh, artifacts on eBay as well. You know, a ticket stub from January 15th, 1983, UVA versus UNC. That game, you versus Michael Jordan, just the ticket stub sold for $300 a couple weeks yeah. ago. Okay, well, that was a good game, I'm sure. <laughs> that's right, that's hopefully right. We won. Hopefully Did we you won. ever keep any of this sort of stuff, any memorabilia from your career? Do you have in, in a closet somewhere or in a display case? I have some. I don't know. I mean, my mother and father have it all, so I don't know what we have. I haven't looked at it over the years, but I know I have jerseys and trophies and, you know, stuff, some memorabilia, but... Uh, we keep it, it locked up in house and under under the 
steps safe area <laughs> so we could keep it all nice and neat. But I need to go back and look at see what we have. Hey, yeah, I think so. Maybe. I mean, this is uh, there's a business in that. But of course, they they hold a lot of uh, uh, value and memories and meanings to you and your family. Priceless. You can't put a price on that. Absolutely. Unless it's $1.8 million for, for a card. No, I mean, but I think that, I mean, I found out a couple of years ago, I mean, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar has the, 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 all the memorabilia over his history. And he tried to auction off one time for like 15 or $16 million. It wouldn't go for that. Oh, yeah. So I don't know if he still has it or what happened to it, but I know he's trying to he put a whole catalog together and they were trying to sell it for millions of dollars, but it did sell. Wow. All right. Well, he's got to... It's got to get LeBron's basketball card agent yeah, yeah, on exactly. the case. Nice. Well, all right, Ralph, that was some fun stuff, but we've got such a great interview. I think we got to get right to it. Kenny Maurer, an NBA veteran referee. He's seen it all. He's done it all. He's been there, had a front row seat to some of the biggest games in NBA history. Uh, we actually had a chance to speak with him a couple of weeks ago before the NBA bubble began to talk about his decision on not joining the bubble, why he opted out, uh, but how it's going to work from a referee's perspective. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview. I know we had a great time chatting with him. We are so thrilled to have a very special guest in the house today. He is the longest tenured ref in the NBA. This man is a legend when it comes to the world of officiating. He's been a ref in the NBA for 33 seasons. Let me throw some numbers at you real quick. 1,935 regular season games, 218 playoff games, 19 NBA Finals games. The legendary Kenny Maurer. Thank you for being here on Center Court with us. Well, thank you, Jason. You're so kind. Thank you. I, I appreciate it. Look like you got a suntan up there. I, I mean, you got, you know, that's the light on your forehead or is that? No, that, that, the suntan was from down in Florida. After, then I drove up last week. So it's, it's all from South. I haven't, I, go. I'm, I'm, right. I'm going to lose it real quick now. <laughs> I'm there to call. Yeah. The winter's coming quick up there. Yes, That's right. Is. Well, Kenny yeah. is joining us over Zoom in this new world that we're in right now. Obviously, Kenny, first and foremost, how are you doing and dealing with everything that's been thrown our way in the year 2020? You know, it's it's, it's funny, Jason. Um, people, I'm sure, have asked you that question many times. Um, I tell people I, I, I really have, I, I don't want to say enjoyed it because um, horrible times for all of us. And But, you know, you have to make do with the with whatever situation comes your way. Um, I'm usually on the road 25 days a month in, in March and April. I was able to spend 30 days a month with my wife. And um, so, you know, I, I loved it. I, I, I worked out. I stayed fit. I take a lot of vitamins. I'm not going to allow people to dictate what, you know, what is right or not with my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lead the right life health-wise. And uh, that got me through all that. I mean, we we cooked dinner every night, or she did. I can't cook for the <laughs> cook dinner. Um, on Netflix, we should have had stock in that too, guys. We should have had some more stock in <laughs> there Netflix. You go, there you go. Um, yeah. So, I mean, all these things that I that I never was able to do for 46 years, including my, my whole career, um, I was able to, to do that. So I, I, I bought a bike. I was riding 16 miles a day on my bike. I was um, exercising in the front lawn. I was having enjoying my wife, going for walks, meeting with different people. So, um. I, I, you know, I don't want to say I enjoyed it, but it enabled me to do things that I'd never been able to do. So, um, um, I, uh, I, um, uh, I did the best with what I was handed. How's that? Well, I want to know, if, you know, when you play in the NBA as a player, right? And it's, I'm sure it's like you, but you go through the season, you travel so much and then your body's used to that. 
especially during those seasons. How did your body adjust? I mean, how long? It took me like two weeks. I mean, even from not playing right now, it took me about two weeks to adjust my schedule to stand at home. How did your body feel and how did you do that so quickly? Well, that, that's a great – not only that, but your sleep. I mean, when I get done with the game, I can't go to bed right after oh, a game. I mean, I'm, I'm just yeah. – I'm wired. So, so – and I don't like to eat heavy at night. So when I'm on the road, I'll eat something light, uh, talk with my young referees, go down to the, the, to the restaurant, the bar, whatever, and just talk, talk about the game. By the time I pack and do my game report, it's 2, 2 30 in the morning. Yep. And then the next day you're up, and I don't work too many back-to-back. So that was a tough thing, your sleep and – coagulating with your schedules with your wife and she's got her schedule and now I'm coming home. And, um, that was what was tough for me. And then, and then you, you know, you're used to, to, to this routine. I didn't have it. So after about a week or two, I started feeling lazy and I started feeling <laughs> cause I wasn't working out. I went, so, so I got right. I went, went, went and bought the bike. So you're right. It took a couple of two weeks to just say, wait a minute, you know what? I'm just not going to have this same, same schedule. I got to make my own one. Once I got into the routine, I, uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, well, this has definitely been an adjustment for, for all of us, but certainly for you. I mean, sports has played such a big part of your life and those routines, not only officiating the NBA, but starting at the very beginning. You're born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota. You were a three-sport athlete at the University of Minnesota, all Big Ten in baseball. You were teammates with Paul Molitor, which oh, is uh, incredible. Yeah, right. Uh, I I mean, uh, a sports family. Your cousin is Joe Maurer, uh, the legendary Minnesota Twins player. And you really grew up in a referee family. Your father was a ref, uh, four brothers, all refs. At what age did you know or or when did you realize that you wanted to go into the family line of business and and become uh, an official as well? Well, my whole life, ever since I was seven years old, I'd go to with my dad and my dad coached high school football, basketball, and baseball. He was primarily a football coach. So he loved refereeing. I used to go watch him when I was a little kid. And, um, you know, I used to see people yelling at my dad, trying to figure out, why are they yelling at my dad? I love my dad. My boy, my dad's a great guy. Why is he? <laughs> and, you know, you kind of you kind of learn to accept that as part of the mm-hmm. game. He was a – I loved him. He was my role model. He was my hero. So, I mean, he, he taught me so much about about just life and talk how, how people react and people get emotional. So – I understood all that. Well, then, you know, I, I watched him so long and I loved it and I, I thought I would like it. Well, then I became an athlete, you know, in high school, college. I was a freshman in college. I took a refereeing class. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, I, I don't want to do this. Come on. I'm still playing. You know, I still thought I was, you know, I, I could play. And I said, you know, I, it hooked me right away. I, I took, Jason, I took the, the competitive drive from being an athlete and I transferred that to being a referee. Some players, they transfer that to being a coach or maybe it's something in business, whatever they choose to do. So I mm-hmm. transferred that mentality of I want to be good, be the best I can be, knowing you, you're never going to be perfect. And I fell in love with it when I was a freshman in college. I used to watch the NBA on Sunday afternoons, you know, watching all the teams and all the great athletes. And I fell in love with the game. And then I started looking at it from a referee standpoint. So I was hooked. And basketball to me was more of a challenge than football, baseball. So I just love refereeing basketball games that you, you're sweating and you're out there and you're interacting more with, with the players and the and the coaches and you're so much more part of the game. And when I took that uh, course in college when I was 18, I fell in love with Wow. So- you never know the impact that, uh, you know, one course will have. Obviously, you already had the idea planted in your head from your family, but right, uh, right, really right. that thinking it back that this is something that, that you could do, you know, as a, as a profession. I wanted, I, I wanted to do it. I wanted, I said, you know, you can only play as Ralph will say, competitively at the levels we, we really want. Well, 30, 35, maybe if you're 40, mm-hmm. but otherwise, what do you do from 40 to I'm 65 now? And yeah. so I found something early on that could, uh, could take me till, uh, till I'm 65. 
Well, you, you alluded to um, and just a little conversation. You alluded to when you started at 18. You know, the NBA at that point in time at 24 wasn't the NBA today. Right. What are some of the differences today that it was back then? Because, you know, when, when I was in the NBA in the 80s, we only had like 15 people in the front office. You know, that was scout. That was everybody, right? Everybody did multiple jobs. So yep. I'm sure you've seen it evolve over the years from then to now. What are some of the biggest differences? Well, I started uh, Pro Bowl when I was in 1979, 1980, and I got hired in the NBA in 86. So you're absolutely right, Ralph. Um, I was there, when no. I, yeah, well, no. When I, when, I, when, I got hired, when I got hired, I think there was 28 or 30 referees. That was it. There was no three-man. There was no you know, expansion. So the Miami Heat weren't even around. Back then, Ralph, I, I think there was communication. I mean, Daryl, when you first started in the NBA, Daryl would tell us he didn't want us to communicate with players because we didn't know what the hell to say. I was, what am I going to say to a – to a, to a player that's been in the league 10, 20 years, he said, it's best that you don't say anything because you're probably going to say the wrong thing. Well, then we were arrogant. And then if we said something, it was usually stupid. And if we said if we didn't say anything, we were arrogant. Slowly but surely, you interacted more with the veteran referees. And the veteran referees took care of you. And they they they, they showed you the ropes and they introduced you to the players. More of a, I mean, the word family is, is an overused yeah. word in the NBA. Mm-hmm. But I mean, there was more of that. And, and they, you, they called you by the first name and they knew who you were, you know, and even now I meet players that I reference, well, Ralph, it's a perfect, and they, they just remember you. And it's, it's a, it's a respect factor. And, and um, now the game has become so big and there's so many employees and there's, believe me, there's still a lot of that. They try to take care of you and they, they try to, but there's just, there's not that much, um, small town communication, I called it interaction on a daily or weekly basis. And you're, and you're, um, everything is video and everything is, you know, it and everything is, uh, HR and everything is, you know, it, <laughs> it's so much more of a business now. And I, I'm, I'm not saying that our superiors, our supervisors don't work very hard to keep my profession. Hey, go out and do your job. And they're very good at that. It's a whole different animal now. When I got hired, I thought it was a basketball company. Now it's a major corporation. Major, major. Man, I, I feel the same way because, uh, I mean, 15 people in the front office in the Houston Rockets was ridiculous. I mean, they got three, 400 people now. So there's opportunities for kids out there to be in. I mean, you got social media team of three or four people per team. I mean, that's kind of, kind of crazy. But that's <laughs> yeah, a lot of jobs in the NBA that people can have. So it's amazing to see how it evolved over the years. Yeah. That's right. And and speaking of not only how the, the league has evolved, but the game of basketball, you're there on the court for the last 33 years. Kenny, how has the game, how you officiated it, and how the players play it, how has it changed uh, over the course of your career? Well, with IT and video and analytics, I mean, they have stats for everything, as both as a player and a referee. Back then, it was more of a feel. Mm. Back then, I knew how many fouls every guy had. I knew who was off the bench. We knew who was hurt. We knew what the – we knew if there was a fight – you know, last week we knew who didn't like who we, I knew, I knew everybody's best move. I knew who, who could do what I knew what was coming. He's in the low block. I know what he's going to do. And so that's part of studying the game and knowing what you're doing. It was so much more of a feel back then. It was so much of a, more of a common sense. It was so much more of a, I don't want to say let them play, but they were, they were, they were, they were men and they wanted you to let them play and they wanted you to call the advantage. Otherwise let, let, let's go. People don't want to hear the whistle. And mm-hmm. now it's, it's more of a, it's very much, uh, you know, it's black and white, and that's the way they want the game refereed, and so that's the way you referee it. I mean, I was in Phoenix in 2012, and, um, you know, I had that analytical system in every arena that does that, and the owner there says basically, hey, you have to use this to do your player development. 
and a guy shoots at this spot better than he shoots at that spot. But it didn't tell you how LeBron James guarding. You know, so I don't know how you use it. So we, 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 we didn't find it useful, but we had to use it because the owner paid, paid $150,000 a year what he paid for it for that analytical system. So it's amazing to see it from a referee perspective as well that you guys use it and have to use it because the league uses it. I don't know for re- I don't know what reason they use it for, but it's kind of weird, I think. And I'm thinking you saying you're saying the same thing because I don't know how you use that back in the day. I mean, we wouldn't. Have, I mean, coaches and you know, I can see coaches that I know, Bill Fitch and them using that. He would have never used that. You know, he would say, "Forget that stuff. That's not basketball, right?" I've been forced to to get away from that way of thinking if I want to continue to referee. Yes, yes. But but I also I have a difficult time with it, and 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 that's why. You know, Monty and the guys and Joey and, and, and all the guys that are – they just say, you go referee. Ref, referee the game. Just referee like you – and, you know, analysts will take care of themselves. So I, I, I've tried to do that. I mean, I, I, I'm not, I don't want to ever want to be an analytics referee. You have to know the rule book. I don't want to be a rule book referee, but you have to know the rule book. I want to be a common sense referee. I want, I want people to know you walk on the floor and that guy is going to – he's going to treat everybody the same. It doesn't matter whether you're home. It doesn't matter whether you're visitors. He's going to treat every player the same. I don't give a – who can help the guy's a superstar or not. I really don't. And um, that's, that's all I care about. I don't care about the analytics and how many traveling calls I had and how many D3s. And, but, but Ralph's right. That, that there's a lot of that. And that's the way a lot of people are, they've created jobs. And that's the way a lot of people are, 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 are working systems and are working teams. And, but again, um, and again, maybe 20 years from now, it'll be all that. But right now it's, you know, there's a lot of Ralph and me, and then there's a lot of, the analytic people. So mm-hmm. um, we just got to try to work together. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you have great instincts. Clearly it's, you know, you've, you've seen so much out there, but you mentioned there's a lot of calls that really could go either way, a block charge. I'm curious, what is the most challenging call that an official has to make? Is it the block charge? Is it a goaltending call? Is it a, an out of bounds play? And that y'all you'll see, you know, you and your officials huddle up who had the best look which is there something that is the most challenging call to make in the game of basketball? Well, it's either the block charge or the goaltend. Back then, post play was very difficult to referee, mm-hmm. especially when it got more physical in the 80s. Now they want to make sure we referee plays of the basket. We don't give cheap three point plays. We allow the play to develop. Does the guy shoot his elbow out? Is there just minimal contact? Right now, the block charge of the goaltend. You're trying to referee the play of the basket, and you're looking at both players, and you're looking at body. Is there separation? Whatever. Does he get hit on the arm? And then, oh, shoot. The secondary defender comes in. I'm going. Oh hell! Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, you just whacked it. And so you got to get help from that slot. You got to get help from that other referee. That's why it's so good that we we try very hard to referee your primary defender, and that other referee's got to get that goal, Teddy. We if you're watching the ball, mm-hmm. and everybody in the stadium is watching the ball, and the guy's dribbling into the lane, hell bent for leather, and there's a collision. Nobody's going to know whether it was a block charge. We're taught to referee the defensive player. Does the defensive player get there? Does he get there? Mm-hmm. Does he beat the dribbler to the spot? So I'm not even watching that dribbler. I am. I know he's coming. I see it mm-hmm. out of my peripheral. But I'm picking up this guy. Yep, he's standing there. Offense. Nope, he's moving. Block. That's a difficult play to referee real time. You want yeah. to put it in slow motion and go at double, triple speed slow motion? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all good then. But, I mean, right. to see it, boom, boom. I mean, especially if it's a secondary offender that comes over from the other side. Now you got to pick up him, him, see this guy coming. So the block charge or the goaltending is, I, I think any, I think most referees would tell you those are the flip a coin. Those are the two toughest calls. 
Mm -hmm. But being the fact that I, I played you know, a little bit above the rim, so do you think the goaltending should be like the, like the European basketball, where you can just bounce it off the rim? I mean, I'd be you don't have to, you won't have a goaltending. You just well, smack it well, off the rim. we we would hug and probably pay half our salaries if somebody could get that pass. I'm kidding. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We we talked about that back when I was in coaches' meetings years ago, and I I, I don't think Mr. I don't think Mr. Stern liked it. He's the one who kind of because everybody seemed to want that. Everybody seemed to want once it gets up there, leave it alone, doggone it. And um, for whatever reason, the NBA's never uh, never yeah. want to go. That would make our job our job as referees much easier. Yes. Well, your job as a referee is not easy. I mean, you have all of these calls that are happening with all the eyes of the world on you. Some of the biggest players, the biggest egos, the biggest superstars, coaches, fans, people yelling at you. What is the toughest part of being an NBA official? Um, I think it changes as you, as you um, continue to mature as a referee. Once you get your self-confidence and you, you feel comfortable with yourself, which takes – even as a player, one, two, three years, whatever, depending on the player. But I mean, just just handling handling people, um, concentration, so that you're, you're you're able to concentrate. You don't lose your con you know that you're supposed to be looking here, and the, or your your partner's going to take that, and you're going to get this, or you got to mm -hmm. get up to see the goaltender. Who's got the primary defender? Who's got? If you you have to continue, I don't care how how, how much how many years you've refereed as, a, as an NBA referee. You have to, you have to concentrate constantly about, because these athletes are getting so much, I think they're quicker, faster, stronger. I mean, they're just, they're moving at, at a rate, um, you know, the traveling, we realized how many traveling calls we were missing, the sliding of the foot, the shifting of the foot, you know, out on the perimeter, um, you know, the, the reverse pivot where he's lifting his pivot foot and he's beating the defender. I mean, it was, you know, we've, we've gone back and looked at all that. So concentrating on what, what facets of the game, depending on where you're on the floor, where, that to me is something you, you, you cannot, you, you have to stay with at all times. Then it's, it's, it's all about handling people. It's about handling players. It's about handling coaches. It's about, I wasn't very good at it when I was younger. I was, uh, you know, they're coming at you because, you know, you know, Earl would make a call or Jake, Jake would make a call and, and, and they come and yell at me. I go, what are you yelling at me? Do I even look like Jake? I mean, I don't even look like Jake. You know, they come at Hugh Evans. Do I even look like Hugh Evans? What are you? And um, they, they, but they're not going to, you know, well, now a little bit of that happens with that young referee or me, or I may make a call. They may go to that. Yeah. It's just an involvement. Um, mm -hmm. So you have to learn to, to you know, you got to be able to talk to people. You got to be able to, some player comes at you. You got to be able to, Oh, you, know, you got to be able to address him in a way that it's emotional. Mm -hmm. oh, stop, oh, stop. Talk to me now. Um, a coach too. Sometimes they want to be hurt. Sometimes he wants to yell and scream. Sometimes he wants to get thrown. I mean, there's so many different reasons for why you got to know what's going on in the game. Why is that? Why is that player mad? He's not mad because of that play. He's mad because you missed that play down there. And this is a carryover. And that's, you have to know that you have to. And when you're younger, I couldn't remember what happened down there because all I was looking at was this play trying to now as a veteran, I go, Oh, I, I, it's that play, right? He's mad because he thinks we missed that play. Now he got called for this play. So it's all about, um, you know, managing the game and all about concentrating at a level that it's, it's really, I, I come sometimes I'm more tired after a playoff game from concentrating than physically. Because yeah. I, you, know, you, you mentioned some, you mentioned some great referees, Hugh Evans and Joey Crawford and, Good friend of mine in the pathway, Jeff Kersey and Dale Garrison and whatever. I mean, th those are. I mean, those are. I yourself. I mean, you, you don't have referees like that anymore. That are iconic in the game. That that uh, that refs. You know, so many games and and actually evolved the game to where it is today. 
do you think that myself or can players in my years play today or can players now play with us? Well, I think um, that that's that's something I, I, I do. I think players of yes, yes, you could play it. Yeah, you damn right, I do. Yes, I do. They they I don't know if some of them. Well, you are bigger. You're just as strong. I don't know if they're faster. I don't know if they're quicker. But they just they played the game. Now there's so much individual. It's so much one on one. It's so much. Back then they were so good at playing the game the way the game should be played, and so. I believe that if you can play the game as a team game, that you could play at any any time. Um, some of the players today, athletically, yes, athletically, they could play back when you played. But it was, I don't know, you tell me if I'm wrong, it was so much of a different game. I mean, it was so, so many people, they, they all did their role and they played. Now, it's a whole different game. Um, are, 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 are they better shooters today? I don't know. I didn't see that many three-point shots shot back then, so I don't know. Um, I, I like to think they could have, but I, I, I don't know. So, but do I think, you know, the Oscar Robertson, do I think Jerry West, do I think, you know, do I think Kareem could have played players, you know, yourself, uh, just guys. I mean, do I think they could have played back? Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, I, yeah. Yes, I do. <laughs> I do. Well, no the game has certainly changed a lot, but one constant throughout time is coaches and players are constantly talking to refs. They're constantly talking to you, angling, politicking. I'm curious, is that effective? Does it have an effect on you throughout a game, um, even maybe subconsciously in how you officiate? Well, I know they think it does, or else <laughs> right. I like to think, why, why the heck would they keep doing it? Yeah. But, um, uh, but yes, um, to a younger referee, they're always trying to work that. They're trying to work mm-hmm. that. They're trying to work that. Whether it's intimidation, whether whether they just had a bad night at home the night before with their wife, I really don't know. But as you get older, Jason, no. I mean, you know, I mean, they look at me and I, you know, I would say, do you really, you really, come on, you really think I'm going to buy that? Come on. <laughs> Did that work? Did that work? Did that work with him or 10 years ago? And then you have to get, they laugh. I mean, it's, it's such a people it's the more I've refereed, the more I know it's so much about people. It's so much mm-hmm. about how do you interact with, with the player, with the with the fan. I mean, you have a fan that's yelling and screaming, call me every name in the book, you know, and well, when you're young, Oh my gosh, that's affecting you. It's breaking your concentration. Mm-hmm. And now I go over and say, you know, I can't, I'll say to his wife, I can't believe you're with him. You're, you're, <laughs> really, you're, you're with him? You got to me. I, I, I feel sorry for you. By the end of the game, he wants to, we're going to go have dinner. I mean, it's just, it's just, you know, they're people just, you know, they think that they paid some money. They think they should yell and scream. They think that's mm-hmm. part of the gig. Coach has to work the referee player. You know, a lot of them, they've never, they've, they've, they've never committed a foul in their life. Those are all the connotations or whatever. I don't necessarily buy into all of them, but there's some truth in it. And it's just, uh, you have to learn how to handle people. You have to know why he's coming at you, the player or the, or the coach. Why are they coming at you the way they are? Why? Tell me, well, you have to be able to, and in your first few years, you don't get it. When you've got 35, 30 years in, you get it. Right. Did Ralph, did you talk a lot, Ralph? Or was no, that to that, the refs? That's called, no. a, that's called, I didn't talk, but that's called a no. mutual respect, right? So you got Kenny there for 35 years. We had Daryl Garrison, Jess Curdy. So when you go into court, you see those refs, they're going to smile at you. They're going to talk to you. So yeah. that was a mutual respect. And you knew how far to go with that ref, and that ref knew how far to go with you. I don't know if you have that today. With the, especially with the younger refs, but uh, I mean, talk about that relationship with players because I mean, even after I finished playing now with you and Jess Kersey and Hugh Evans and Daryl and all these other people that I know you see, the relationship still continues, you know, off the court Absolutely. after you finish playing. So 
what relationships may you have on the court now with certain players? They see you. Mm -hmm. They know. They know your style of refereeing. They know what you're going to call and what you're not going to call, right? So, I, I, I had that when I played. So your style, I do. I still remember. So what what relationships may you have right now that may do that? Well, I you're right. I players that I've refereed years ago, I I I can't wait to see them. I see them in in, in, in arenas, and I go up and I give them a hug or I, or I shake their hand. How you doing? What's going on? It's a great feeling. There was a mutual respect. I'm not saying there's not now, Ralph. I, I think there is, but there's now back then there was 28 of us, 30 yeah. of us. Now there's almost 70. There's just not as much. Yes, there's interaction. Now you might see, you might not see a team for, for a month or three weeks. And I'll have veteran players come up to me and say, Kenny, what's his name? What's her name again? I hope there's as, there's as much mutual respect as there was before, Ralph. I don't know. You watch the game as much as me. I think you'd be able yeah. to answer that with the, from a player's standpoint better than I. Um, I want to believe there is. Have you ever had a, a funny interaction with maybe a current player out in the world? I imagine it's almost like when I, you know, would run into my uh, middle school teacher at the grocery store, and I was like, "Oh my God, you're you're a real person." This is a, a bizarre interaction, like during the off season in real life. Do you have any funny stories where you kind of bumped into uh, a current player unexpectedly, and and they didn't know how to react that maybe you were going to call him for a travel or something? <laughs> oh, I'll see. I'll, I'll see players. I mean, I I always had fun with Charles. He was always hilarious, even when he played. I think he's a he's a wonderful human being. I mean, he's funnier than hell, and he's. But I mean, he he still remembers when I would hit her. I mean, I was with. <laughs> Shaq one day was sitting on this on this in Milwaukee. He was sitting there, and I've always I think I think a lot of Shaq. People don't realize, you know, he he can be a son of a gun when he played, but you know, off the floor. I mean. I remember at the Hall of Fame one time, he went out of his way. He was literally getting bombarded, and he literally would walk across out of his way just to come over, say hi to me or my wife or something. But he was sitting on the court one day, and it was a timeout. And I always I went over, hello, Shaq, how the heck are you? He goes, Ken, you owe me $19,000. <laughs> I go, what? I go, you owe me $19,000. He goes, I said, why is that? He says, well, I look, I, I went back, and I you threw me three times, and I think the fines with the penalties after what I did, I think they told us that nineteen thousand. So with interest, or was at well, you said fourteen with interest. I figure you owe me about nineteen thousand dollars right now. And you know, and I'm I'm crying. I mean, I I got to go referee, and I'm laughing. I mean, I'm in the middle of the game, and uh, it, but that's that's that was respect. I think that was fun. That was uh, and who knows? I probably threw him when I shouldn't have back then because I was you know, young and dumb. I don't know, but. Um, he just, it wasn't, it wasn't anything negative. It wasn't anything like, it was just, it just yeah. makes you feel, you know, that those are the things that you're glad to be a part of it. You know, mm -hmm. nowadays, I don't know, like I say, what Ralph asked the younger players, I'll run into them once in a while, every, every mm -hmm. once in a while, you know, but it's always this aura about them in the old days it would be come on up and I'd hug people, you know, Alonzo mm -hmm. morning, I'd hug them. And now it's, it's like, it's this aura of maybe it's because I'm still roughing. I don't know, but, uh, mm -hmm. It's, it's I, I don't know. I hope it will someday be the same, but I don't know. Yeah. Shaq's a different animal, though, right? Shaq, Shaq oh. on the floor, I mean, he, was, he knew how strong he was. I always like, who was better, Shaq or Will? You know, so, I mean, both of them were amazing athletes, but Shaq off the court is a big, big teddy bear. I mean, I talked oh, to him. And, and you know, and I think, Ralph, I think we missed more plays. I didn't, I didn't referee Will. He, came, he, he got out before I did. I think we missed more fouls. Shaq should have gone to the line more than he did because he was so strong. Mm -hmm. We let big, strong people fight through fouls because we think, well, he can do that. And that's not right. I think we, I think we missed right. a lot of plays on him. Well, he, he, he's a big human for sure. So uh, he's, he's a big boy. And he's funny too. He yeah, is he funny. Is. Who, who are some of the funniest players or maybe some of the craziest things that someone has ever said to you on the court? 
Well, I, one time I was working, I was, I was with, I was with Charles one time and he, he says, and again, I think I was in my, he was still Philly. So that was the beginning of his career. So I was probably in my, I don't know, still wet behind the ears. And you know, he, he, well, he, he was tough on referees back then too. And uh, he was yelling and screaming. So I hit him and I just, yeah, that's, that's what you did back then more. When you get older, you don't have to hit as much because like Ralph says, they know that, Hey, wait a minute. You can talk to him, and if you don't, then guess what? You're not gonna you're not gonna stay here. And um, so I hit him, and then he came at me again, and I just said, I don't want to throw you. I don't want to take any more money out of your puppies. He said, What the hell do I care? I make ten times more than you. He said. And then I said, You make a hundred times, and then and, and and then I threw him. You know, and it's, 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 that's, that's funny. Yeah. Yeah. It's just you know, man, that that's be- great. What I what I would give if you know we could just get the unedited, uh, mic'd up uh, audio feeds from the games of the conversations that you have with players and they have with you, uh, moments like that that take place on the court. And they're and they're pipe. good, you know. There's yeah. some that there's some that you know they probably you know that get kind of um, antagonistic or they get you know you know argumentative. But for the most part, there's there's a lot of I mean, and even with coaches and stuff like that, like Bill Fitch. Bill Fitch used to referee my father. Used to referee yep, Bill Fitch's yep. game when he was at North Dakota, Ralph. Exactly, I know, I know, wow. I know. And so Bill Fitch, you know, how's your dad? He'd say that yep. before the game, and then he was a complete animal <laughs> during the game. He'd be all, you know, he was tough on referees too. But I, I just had so much respect for him because I refereed back when you know my father in college when Phil Jackson paid played for him at North, you know, North Dakota, and so I had so much respect for him. But it didn't matter, you know, when he got on the floor, it was all business, and he, he did his job, and I had to do mine. Right. Well, he finally got Bill Fitch finally got in the Hall of Fame. So I, I, I see him. I talked to him a few times after that. But great coach. He, I mean, imagine I, I, my rookie year. He 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 brings me in the rookie camp, right? And two days in, I twist my ankle with a guy. Whether he trade, he gets rid of the guy. He says you don't have to play anymore. He takes me to his condo across the street from the summit, right? He lived right there. He didn't want to live anywhere else. And we watched videos of him coaching the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Boston Celtics <laughs> every day. <laughs> I had to watch videos on the, eight, eight, the VHR. Right? I was like, well, I got to do this. We called him Captain Video with his nickname, but uh, learned a lot from him. Well, Kenny, you have refed so many games, as we've talked about, but I'm curious about some of the biggest games that you've officiated in your career. Two stand out to me that I, that I found, but I'm curious before planting those in your head, if there's one or two that stands out to you in particular, games I remember is when there was plays I didn't like that I that I that I missed that you still mm. you know I, I wake up nights wishing I hadn't blown or wished I had or something but oh, wow. kind of the two games you most remember is um I worked the game when Michael came back in Indy that was uh mm-hmm. that was really different um you know we heard he was coming and we knew he was coming down on this and we didn't know until the night before and. And when I walked on the floor, you know, I mean, when I walked in the arena, I mean, you, there was no seat empty. Mm-hmm. And every every media person that could possibly have been in the room, in the in the arena, was all around the court. They were already, you had to push him back from literally the court. It was extremely intense, like a playoff game. A game, you know, you remember because, um, you know, he was uh, such an important part of our league at that time. And then, uh, yeah. and, then um, and then I had the game that um, Ray Allen hit the shot in game six of mm-hmm. the finals. Um. It was funny because I was standing on the court talking to my friend. I, I think Joey Crawford, Duke, and I were. I'm sitting with Duke. I go, wow, they're up 15. It was like uh, well, beginning of the fourth quarter, they're up 15. And, uh, you know, this, but this is a finals game. You know, a lot of things change in playoff games. You're never out of it. I said, there might not be a game seven. I mean, and we don't care. People think we mm-hmm. care. We don't care if it's five games, six games. You know, you get paid by the round you work. I could care less mm-hmm. how many games there is. You know, I, I could, 
And um, I said, can you believe this? Too? And all the people were, they were leaving. They were walking up the, mm-hmm. up the, I was watching them. They were, I'm going, they're leaving a finals game. This is the whole, the Miami fans were leaving, yeah. you know, and I'm going, I can't believe this. And then, you know, everybody knows the story. They all came back. They came back. People were trying to get back in the arena. They were shaking the doors. Nobody was letting them come in. Yeah. And, um, and then Ray hits the shot. And it's funny because Ray is the, I've known him his whole career too. And you know, we would talk, we're both, as Ralph is, we've talked about health. I'm big into health and nutrition. Well, I want to take whatever you're taking, 65 and still out there with these, uh, you know, young NBA guys. Like, well, sign me you. up for that for sure. Thank uh, you. Kenny, there's something that you you said in the uh, in that last question that I do want to touch on, which is, you know, you don't care if it goes five games or six games or seven games in a series. You, I don't know if you hear it, but fans hear it all the time. Oh, the NBA's rigged. The NBA, they want it to go seven games. When you hear that sort of chatter, how does it make you feel? I mean, it must infuriate you, but it's funny because um, I, you know, one guy at the end of my career says, you know, would you ever be interested in television? I said, no, not really. I mean, because. <laughs> Those guys just want to hear themselves talk. I don't want to be. I don't want to be out there to hear myself talk. I mean, first of all, who the hell care to listen to me? No, Ken, I think you're wrong. I think some people would because mm-hmm. he had he had worked for um, Fox and he was uh, it was a CNN one of those two anyway. And he was um, and he was uh, helping teach some of these players, you know, how to handle themselves, you know, on air. Sometimes I think I would I, I would like to do that. Sometimes I, I you know I wouldn't. But the connotations that people come up with. Where did anybody get? Uh, I see. That's a veteran call. The referee, that's a veteran. Who started that? Well, you know who started it? Hmm. Probably an ex-coach or an ex-player or somebody with the media because I know a referee never was on the air. There's not a referee that's ever said, yeah, you know, we have veteran calls. That's what we do. We have veteran calls. We call, you know, that's a veteran call. Who started this, Jason? I don't know who started this. Total baloney. Bill Fitz. Bill Fitz started it. (laughs) There you go. I I believe it. I believe it, Ralph. That's total baloney. So all these connotations that, you know, yeah, yeah, that's a that that's a rookie call or that. I don't know. I, I, you know, first of all, when I'm young, I don't even I don't even know who the hell the player is. All I see is a number. The mm-hmm. number he, that's a foul. Numbers on thirty three. For them to think that I'm that good that I can say, aha, oh no, that's yeah. Kareem's fourth or that's you know. And so now with all these videos, every play is scrutinized like Russell with mm-hmm. analytics. Every play, no, come on, it's the furthest thing from the truth. I, I miss plays, Jace. I miss them. Mm. Or I call plays that I shouldn't call. I, I, I haven't. Yes, I do that. But I don't. I could care less if the game was 30 or 20. I could care less if it was a three game, five game. I could care less. I could care less. And I don't know. And I don't know who starts that stuff, but it's just fodder. It's mm. all the media. The media starts all this stuff with players. They start with coaches. They, they you know, this, this coach. Yeah, you know what? I think this coach is going to be fired. Why, why is he going to be fired? He's done a great job for great sake. Is he's had five people injured? Why is he going to be? Fun? They start all this stuff, and it's just I don't know. Well, you know, the, the, the media have to write about something. Yeah, you know, they can write about. They got to write about something. And, and and all those guys never played. No, no, but None they think they played. have. But they think, but they think they have. <laughs> I mean, they just can write. They got to come up with a story that sells newspapers, right? So it's just kind of crazy how it works. And I and I and I, I would love to. But back to what I was just initially saying, I would love to someday, and I'm not fighting for a job or anything is get on the air with some of these ex players. And when they're mm-hmm. talking about what they think a referee, I, you know, well, the referee was really, who the hell, how do you know? <laughs> who, how many games have you ref? I mean, I would uh-huh. love to do that, Jason, or Ralph. I'd love to just in, in fun, you know I mean? Because I'm yeah. not going to tell you, 
um, that's why you missed that jump shot, but I can't tell you what the referee was thinking. Well, I think you have a future in that one day. You may not want to do it, but you definitely could do that for sure. Uh, Now, as you mentioned, no one shoots 100% from the field. You're not perfect. You make mistakes too. Uh, I'm curious, how do you handle it when you get a call wrong? Do you you just move on? Do you acknowledge it to a coach that maybe has been chirping at you? Do you apologize? And I want to touch on Another thing that you hear all the time on broadcasts or you from fans, oh, that's a makeup call and how you feel about that. It's another one. The makeup calls, do they exist? If you may if you messed up for team A, you're gonna make it up against team B? Like that's another one. That's another one. I'd like to know who started that, Jace, but we'll 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 get back to that. Okay. Um, uh, number first question. Um, when I was younger, I probably wasn't, I know I wasn't very as good about admitting when I was wrong because I'm trying to project strength and I'm, 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 I'm fighting everybody. I'm, you know, even my partner who's, who, who made a call and they're coming at me, I'm, I'm fighting the world, you know, and, you know, and so I'm, I'm just trying to get plays right. And I probably wasn't as, I know I wasn't as good about admitting when I was wrong. As you get older and you get more comfortable with yourself. Absolutely. I, I, I get to a player, something might be, might be at the free throw line, might be at a timeout when he's coming out, might be after halftime. I just looked at that play, Jimmy. I kicked the hell out of that play. I miss. Thanks, Kenny. That's all I want, and that's all they just want to be. They just want you to be straight up. That's it. Mm-hmm. So I'm, um, uh, and so I, I. Yes, hopefully I don't do it that often during the game <laughs> because. Then, you know, but yes, I do it, and 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 the good ones do. And I teach young referees: don't be afraid to admit that you didn't like that play, or you don't think you're going to like it. You look at it. Let me get back to you. But you know, you know, if a player is going to ask you, you know, about 86 calls, that's not the player you want to be told honestly. But just let him, uh-huh. you know. But when some if some players have the reputation, when they come and, and, and ask you about a play or they complain about a play, I'll say to the young kid, you probably missed it because he doesn't say if he, he doesn't say much. Mm-hmm. He, if he bitches, you missed it or I missed it. And that's 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 the what I feel about a lot of the players. That's the truth. He yeah. doesn't say much. So but as far as a makeup call, no, I, I don't. I, I um have never in my life ever intentionally said I've missed one there not, or I've I'm going to give it that. Now I'll have you. What we try to do is, let's say there's a play of the basket down at that end, and let's say it's a tough play, and it's a you know maybe both players went to the ground, and maybe it was a, well you know what for whatever reason we left that play go, mm-hmm. and, and 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 maybe when we come back to review it, it was a great no call because you know the guy went here and there was this, but there was no there was it was a great layoff. When I go down to this end it better be something down here. You know what I mean? I better not call a hand check. Mm-hmm. Or I better not call a... It's got to be something, yeah. Yeah, it's got to be something. I, because that's something. when I was talking earlier about the player's going to say, oh, wait a minute, did you want that? And, and you're going to call this? Right. And he's got a, and he's got a gripe. He's got, he's, got a, he's got a bitch. He does. Right. So you try to... That's what when, when, when games start getting away from you and you see, you got to rein it back and you got to say, I want to make sure that this game is refereed the same way. So now I call that play and I got to get that play. But, and so makeup call, Jason, no, uh-uh. no, I, I, I've never, never intentionally in my life ever done that, but I try to be aware of what I did or didn't call down there when it comes back down here with the other team. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes sense. Yep. Is uh, definitely makes sense. That's just the nature of the beast in the game, right? You got to even it out or be fair on both ends. It's sometimes it's tough. Sometimes yes, it's real oh, 
Absolutely. Absolutely. You do not have an easy job uh, by by any stretch, uh, uh, you know, any means. Um, but the NBA, very excited, is coming back. Teams are in Orlando now getting ready as the, the bubble is <laughs> taking shape. Uh, I'm curious, will you be there, Kenny? And what went into your decision behind that? No, I, I won't be there. Um, I'm, I've, I've, I've had trouble, but I have a torn glute. I have a torn labrum. I have a little bit of uh, cartilage loss. And so um, it's been bothering me for you know, a few months. You know, mm. I said, this is the perfect time for me to have surgery, get it fixed. It's a unique time down there. I mean, well, I tell you, I, I believe the NBA is going to pull it off and more power to them, boy. I mean, they're working so hard to do it. We're on all these calls and what they're, what they're people have no idea what they're doing to make this happen. It's, it's really it's mind boggling. And but I, this is for me personally, I've never missed a game. I never missed a game. So, so this is real hard for me. Do I continue to work? And do I, no, you know what? I, I, you know, I've been doing it enough. I only want to do it a couple more years. And I said to myself, this is a perfect time for me to do it. Well, I'm glad that you're getting right and using this time to recuperate. It sounds like the smart, sensible thing to do. I'm curious because you have been on so many of these calls and so many of your colleagues and friends uh, will be in the bubble. We haven't heard kind of the referee's perspective, what this will be like for a ref. We've heard a lot about what this may look and feel like for the players, but what are the protocols? Uh, what are maybe the concerns that you would have if you were there? Or maybe other refs have about this whole situation. How is it going to work? Well, the NBA is, um, they're like unbelievable at, I don't want to say overcautious of, of, of making sure that everybody is the health. I mean, it's the health. Right now, the referees that are going down there are, are being quarantined for seven days before they leave. From last Sunday to this Sunday, they're being quarantined. And they're asking their families to be quarantined as well. And only be allowed to leave the home for an absolute necessity. During this time, we're, they're also taking a COVID test. And, so, and, and then they're going to hop on a plane on July 12th and get down there. And then spend the, we're going to spend the next couple of days getting COVID tested again. And then they got to be quarantined again for another 10 days. Oh, wow. And listen to this. Can't leave the hotel room, period. So the sacrifice is incredible by the referees. I would have done it, but I mean, it's, it's, it's something nobody I, I'm sure is looking forward to doing, but they want to work, we want to work the playoff games, want to pull this off. So, yeah. and then after that, first of all, you can't bring your own car in, um, can't bring your family in. That may come to fruition differently. If you test positive, then you go into quarantine for 14 days. If you are, and then they'll be continuing to be tested. I don't know if it was every day or every other day. I'm talking about referees now. Yeah. They want to make sure. They're also going to do an antibiotic test on you. But yeah, it's going to be, you know, I mean, they have, they have mental health doctors that are on call. I mean, they have uh, all types of doctors on call. Commissioner is doing everything he can to try to make this as self-healthy as possible. We're used to being on the road. It's just we're not used to being confided that much. Nobody. Right. So, sure. It is very much undertaken. I was watching some of the news yesterday. I see DeAndre Ayton bringing his big computer, you know, <laughs> game system with him to the to the to the hotel room. But it's got it's got to be weird. Have you ever refed a game with no fans? I mean, you know, and, I mean, you go hear the screeching of the tennis shoes. You're gonna hear the bouncing of the ball. You're gonna hear people talking noise against each other. I mean, how weird would that be? I, and for the players too. I mean, I'm not saying players play for fans, but they feed off the the energy that, especially at a home team crowd. We all know that. And referees, it's different. I mean, I love it when fans are in the game, no matter what. Even when fans react over a call, whether it be good or bad, I, you know, you feed off that. You, you, I mean, yeah, that's part of it. That's the that keeps the adrenaline flowing. I don't know. I, I, 
It's going to be extremely different. Now, obviously, as teams get eliminated, they'll go home through as normal playoffs happen. Uh, referees, there'll be less games. But you often, when, when do you find out if, oh, I got, I'm getting a finals game this year. And does that protocol change for the refs and their schedule when they're entering the bubble? Will they know I, I, how I long don't, they'll go? I don't think so. The, the, the list for the referees that are going just came out this week. Mm-hmm. And then, and then um, the, that, that'll be referees. The entire staff will referee the scrimmages and or games. Then there'll be, I don't know. I think last year, I think it was 36 referees. If I remember, I don't know what they're going to do, but 36 referees go to the first round. Sure. Then when there's a second round, there'll be only 28 or whatever, 28, mm-hmm. 30, whatever. Third round is 18, 20, fourth mm-hmm. round is 12. I don't think that'll change. And you're not notified until after the, uh, until after the last game of that round. Of, of the wow. Round. So these guys, you, all these refs are, are going, they're packing their bags for potentially, uh, you know, one month or three and a half months. They just they don't know. Yeah, Jason, you, you're going to go there. Let's face it from J- July 12th to, I think the finals run on about the 13th, 15th of October. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Some guys that are going to work the finals, they're going all. So it's like you're talking about dry cleaning and can you bring up, can you bring in other clothes in? Um, what do you do? These are all questions that are being answered. And, and, uh, you know, there um, there's some questions that are answered. Some they're coming back to us with answers. They're doing the best they can. You know? Well, yeah. I mean, it's, it's called it's called it's not called the NBA. From they're very powerful. So they got the bubble. They're gonna have the hair, hair getting your hair cut. They're gonna have <laughs> all of it in this bubble, right? So I mean, yep. yes, I mean, they are. I mean, yes, they are. Adam's yeah. a great guy, and I'm sure. I mean, I'm, I'm listening to what they're doing, but it's gonna be amazing. I, I expect something spectacular out of the NBA. I mean, I, they they got to do it right. You know, they spend a lot of money on things. So I expect something that's going to be really, really good. I still question, you know, uh, you know, guys that might sneak out. You know, I still question somebody's going, somebody's going to break curfew. Somebody's going to get out and cause a problem, which we know. And they'd be, I'm sure, expect that as well. I mean, I'm sure you've got the same opinion. Yeah, I mean, um, I know that they've told referees, hey, if you break protocol or something, you will be and or fine and or what. So, um yeah, I don't. I, I don't know. Referees. I hope not, but um, you, 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 you never know. They're human beings. And well, it's an amazing thing. And as an NBA fan, I am so grateful to the players, to the refs, to the coaches, to the training staff, to everyone from the league office who is putting this together because. Our country needs this. Our country needs sports. Sports really is the great unifier, in my opinion. It brings people together of all races, of all religions, of all classes. Uh, and and what more does our country need right now than that? So I'm grateful to, to everyone who is working on this, yourself included. I know you won't be there physically, but you are uh, a part of this league, this operation of everything that's going on and all the hard work that's going into planning what's happening in Orlando. Uh, I'm, I'm just thankful that it's happening. And I agree with Ralph. I think the commissioner's, you know, quite a guy. I, they're going to do it right. And they're going to mm-hmm. do, they're doing everything possible to be safe. That's without question. Absolutely. It's, it's like this brings up uh, just an emotional thing for me with uh, seeing the, you know, the bubble and the league and the country and, and the status of where we are. We've never seen anything like we've seen in 2020, right? It's just been totally different. I like to leave that listen to this podcast some retrospective ideas and things that you can bring to the table. You became a referee for that many years. You you've done it at the best uh, anyone done it. Two questions: How did you do that? One and two: Where were you when Kobe Bryant passed away? I mean, how did that have an impact on you? As you you you, you refed his games for his whole career. 
how did that impact you? Because for me, I still remember the day when it was, and some things that you recall in your life, you know where you were at that point in time. I, I know I was on the road. I know I heard it. And the thing that you remember more about is, is that Kobe was extremely competitive. I extremely. mean, we all know extremely. I mean, I mean, yeah, it got better as, as I got older, but you know, you don't remember any of that. I remember the shots he made in the games I worked and, and I didn't know him off the floor, or how he interacted with, because naturally that, that was private, but I just know what he did. And, 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 and then some of the things, the positive things, but you know, back, back to what you were saying initially, um, I, um, I started a long time ago. I read um, in, in, in the women's professional basketball league when Nancy Lieberman was playing. And oh, yeah. I, refereed a, I refereed a finals game with a, 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 a black gentleman by the name of Ruben Norris. Ruben ran, helped run the Parks and Recs in State of Chicago. He's a friend of Michael's. He was like my second father. I, I used to go to Chicago and sleep on his cot in his living room. And I now realize what an inconvenience it must have been for his poor wife, but he helped me get in the NBA. Kenny, I mean, we really are so grateful for your time. You don't often get to hear from an NBA referee. And uh, this was very valuable, great insights, not just into the world of officiating, but you know, really humanizing the life. the profession, life that you do. I mean, you, we t covered so many topics. One last question that we like to do here at Center Court is a segment called Paying Homage. And you've sort of touched on this throughout. Is there someone that you want to pay homage to who helped you get to where you are today? It could be a friend, a family member, a teammate, a mentor, maybe someone that you, you grew up idolizing, someone that you want to give a special shout out to and recognize who helped pave the way for your success. Well, I think I, I, I mentioned him a little bit earlier. He was like my second father. His name is Ruben Norris, and um, he was a, a wonderful referee. He was a strong-willed, uh, no-nonsense type guy, but he had the personality. He, he treated me like a son, and I get emotional because they made me feel like I was uh, just, uh, just one of them, just, 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 one, just one of their, their, their children. And, and it just it was a and Ruben took me around and he taught me so much about life. And I came home and I, I did speaking engagements about it. He, uh, he helped me get into the NBA just by allowing me to sleep on his cot for three, two or three summers. And um, I worked all the summer leagues. That's back when all the summer leagues in Chicago were crazy and helped me get to a camp. And um, he helped, otherwise I was never made it in St. Paul, Minnesota. And so I, I, uh, I love him to death. Well, thank you, Kenny. You've done a lot just sharing your, your heart, your soul, your experiences, and your honesty with us. Uh, it means a lot, and it means a lot to all of our listeners as well. So oh, be well, stay safe, and uh, we'll all be watching NBA games together yes, pretty soon. Yes, yes, we will. Thank you. Thank you so much. I'll be all right. Ralph, I could have talked to Kenny for, for days. I mean, we don't often get to hear from an NBA referee, and he really opened up not just about the craft of officiating when there's no one better to talk to, but about the things that all of us Americans are dealing with right now in the, in the country and in the world. Well, I mean, you ref for that long. I guess you got to have some stories somewhere, right? You go from the early 80s, 70s. Well, I mean, this way back. I mean, I can't fathom that many games. You know that much running up down the court because he's he's not he, he doesn't get a break until halftime. <laughs> yeah, I mean he's sixty five. They were more, more than the players do. So how can you rest that many games and stay in that type of shape over sixty five years old? Stay in that type of shape. So it's a very special guy, very special guy, person, man, husband. I mean, amazing interview. I, I mean, I'm just still here, excited about what he was saying. 
Yeah, that was that was a lot of fun and really interesting uh, perspective that we don't normally get. Now, he did say, Ralph, that you didn't talk much to to refs back in the day. Were you ever ejected? And and I want to know, like, what did you do that? You, were you ever ch- chirping at a ref? No, I never smiled. I never chirped at refs. I respected them. But also, you know, when I got riled up a little bit, I got kicked out a few times. Right <laughs> you got to get kicked out a few times. You, you go get somebody that's going to rile you up a little bit. And you get, if you don't fight back, you're going to be punked in the league. So you got to fight back a little bit. You'll get kicked out a couple of times. That's fine. I've seen some of those highlights on YouTube, actually. Yeah, there's, it's fun. You ever, you ever looked them up on YouTube, some of your ejections or fights? I've seen some of the fights. I, I used to love the fight. You know, when, when you got to play with Maurice Lucas and, and all the big boys, they're going to hit you in the chest. If you don't fight back, then they're going to like, oh, we can get him. So you got to show <laughs> right. something while you play. You got to show. If you don't, they're going to beat you up. Back, back in the day. The day is kind of weak, I think, so it's all good. Well, back in the day, you could get in a fight and be back out there for the fourth quarter or the next game at least. Now the yeah. suspensions, it's, it's uh, handled a little bit differently today. Yeah, you get kicked out. You got a $150 fine. You're good. Now it's like more serious. But anyway, it was a great right. show, and I loved it. And uh, we, 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 we got to do them again. We said we would. We'll do them again. I think so. That's a great idea. I can't wait to uh, talk to Kenny again, but this was a great episode and we want to thank you all for listening to another episode here of Center Court. Uh, It was a blast, Ralph, and I can't wait. We've got some great guests coming up here soon. Coming up soon, but remember everyone watches on YouTube soon and uh, all our social media channels, Instagram on Center Court 50, and we look forward to uh, many more great shows like that one. That's right. Be sure to follow us, as Ralph mentioned, Center Court 50 on Instagram and Twitter, Ralph Sampson 50, Jay-Z Fish. And please, I know there's so many podcasts out there, but we would really appreciate it. You made it this far listening to us. If you would subscribe, rate us five stars, leave us a review. It really means a lot and helps us as we continue to grow this little podcast that could up the hill to the mountaintop. Uh, And thank you for coming along that journey with us. It's going to be a lot of fun and more in store soon. So thanks for joining us here on Center Court. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.